Dublo Pazhalavat na podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Dorasvicha Privet. Hello, this is Fred Clary, and this is another fat podcast. And today we're going to veer off of uh, chiropractic and life sciences and cover something in the powerlifting, weightlifting, strength training, personal training world. And we're going to cover something that's been driving me a little crazy, especially because of my background. As many of you know, um, I started my powerlifting career in 1980, in 81. I was 13 years old and uh, started competing back then. And by the time I was 16, 17, I was beating the men. Um, I trained with a bunch of guys, and I really didn't know that... Uh, you know, that I should not be as strong as the men age 25 to 45 on roids as a teenager, you know, eighth, ninth grader. So I just thought I was weak and I just kept training and training. Talk about a paradigm. And I figured I could be as strong as them. No one had told me different. So I learned a lot about routines um, at a very young age, as a teenager, I went to many seminars because you didn't have YouTube. If you wanted to learn what a top lifter was doing, you had to find out if he was, like, say, speaking at York Barbell. And you would have to get a ride, especially as a teenager. I'd ride with a teammate and take a notebook and we'd do a seminar. Or you'd have to get on a phone, a dial-up phone, things that, you know, my kids laugh at me when I said you had to spin your finger in a circle to call and find the number of some superstar and hope he would give you time of day. Or most likely, which worked for me, I would go to a lot of regional, state, regional, national, world events if they were around, you know, hitching rides with uh, training partners. And, uh, you know, I, would, I was bold enough to go ask questions when the, the lifter didn't look like he uh, was, you know, warming up or getting psyched up for an event I would ask him in the hotels um, you know how do you deadlift what's a good deadlift routine I'm trying to do this what's a good squat routine how do you eat how do you sleep I must have been a pestering little teenager at the time but what's amazing is uh, I, I stopped lifting uh, probably in 1994 1995 and then I ran meets ran bodybuilding shows ran ran powerlifting meets and then I returned to the platform in about 2014. So I took about 19 years off, very similar to the, to the individual we're going to talk about today. One of the strongest men in the world, pound for pound, and one of my favorite lifters to watch. Um, we'll talk about, you know, Mike Bridges today. But the interesting thing is, you know, the Russian routines were out in the 80s. They were all secret because they were Soviet routines. That's when the Soviet empire was was you know taking over and we were more worried about making more nukes so we could destroy the world a hundred times over than you know all the crazy political stuff you see today it was a whole different world you know 30 years ago so what i found interesting is now that we have the internet youtube information highway is full and crowded um that we really really have seen um, some different routines, um, some of the top Soviet and Bulgarian and, and European methods have been all explained down to you have Excel spreadsheets that you can plug in. 
I have an app on my phone called uh, Three Lift, where you know. So so I'm gonna try to try to go through and show you what you know the Russians, the Bulgarians had taught me. I was hitting something. So I'm gonna try to show you what the uh, the Russians and the Bulgarians had taught me and what a guy named Mike Bridges, I think he was out of Texas, was doing in the late 70s and 80s. Um, but first let me explain kind of, the, kind of the, the Soviet routine. Now there's been a lot written about the Soviet routines. You have writings by Yuri Verhoshky. You know, you have the Smolovov and the Shriko, Shriko programs. And they're all variations on, on some of the basic Russian or Soviet methods. And what the Soviet methods were periodization, using percentages of the max you were going to try to go for. So say you were bench pressing 400 pounds and you want to get to 440. Well, you would set your routine at 400 and the goal would be, you know, 110% by the end of, a, say, 12 or 16 weeks or 24 weeks. And you would set these up and you would do a certain percentage every day of that uh, lift. And the lift was designed to control overtraining, to match what the nervous system could handle week in and week out. So as you slowly increase, some of your other lifts would decrease. For example, if you had lifted 350 pounds for triples three times for three or four sets, they usually did eight sets. There's Russians, but they had a lot more time and none of the athletes had jobs. So they would do all these sets and then slowly increase it. And then there'd be a couple of weeks where they backed down. Um, I call that the stack stagger routine because when I was a teenager, I, you know, see all these numbers and percentages and we didn't have Excel. So you had to physically write them out on graph paper and use what's called a calculator and, you know, a Texas instrument, which had big buttons and push in to try to figure all these out. And what I learned from the Russian routine is that you don't have to lift your maximum every day. You don't have to max out every day, but you have to slowly increase your weights. And, you know, as you're increasing the weights, there has to be a system. You can't one week do three sets of three and the next week say, oh, I feel good. I'm going to max out. And the next week feel, oh, I'm hurt and I'm going to take it easy. And that's more of a Western approach where, you know, you do a pyramid, you know, you do sets of eight, then sets of six, then sets of four, then two, then one and go. Very Western stuff where, where what the Russians said, the Soviets said, which made sense, you have to train like you're, you're training the sport, the sport of powerlifting, Olympic lifting, strongman, you're moving something one time. So if you're doing a clean and jerk, you're doing it one time, and that's what you have to practice. You know, on the platform, you don't get any points for doing a triple on the squat. In fact, they'll give you red lights if you keep going up and down with it. You have to do it one time. A good example is just looking at athlete, other athletic events, other sports. A pro pitcher, baseball pitcher, if he's trying to learn a fastball, he's just going to throw a fastball. You can't learn to throw a fastball by throwing a curveball or slider. So it's sport specific, event specific, and you want to generate as much power and as much strength as you can for that one rep max. And what you're trying to fight and overcome 
neurologically are muscle spindles and Golgi tendon organs. These are specialized nerve endings in our muscles and our tendons, ligaments, fascia, that tell the brain there's a lot of weight here, shut down, or we're going to get injured, we're going to tear. So, and then you have the psychological aspect of your brain. Oh, this weight feels heavy. I remember the first time I tried 800, I thought I was going to be crushed. Now I have no problem getting under 800 because my body's been conditioned to it. So the Russian system conditions you to heavy weights and to work on your technique so that one single, that one rep max, um, you're used to seeing that weight over and over again. Now the thing about the Russian system, they would go in six week training cycles. They had a preparation phase for a couple weeks, an intermediate phase, they call it transition, where you start ramping up and then a competition or intense phase. That's where you handled the heavier weights. But most of the time, you were only lifting weights in the 70 to 85% range. So if you had a 400-pound um, bench press, you were regularly handling 330 to, say, 380. And you never went up to that 390, 400. You were always just below and doing lots of sets, conditioning your nervous system. Less than 5%, like the intense phase, would you venture into the 90%, 95, and you go super heavy, what we would call max. You would try to stay away from maxes because that overwhelms the nervous system, leads to injury, and breakdown on form. There is more variability in the volume. So, you know, one week you're doing a lot of eights, eight sets of singles, and then the next, next week you may do five. So you gave your body a rest by manipulating the volume, how much total work you did in the gym, but the weights were always intense enough so you never lose that training effect, that specific training effect of handling heavy weights. The big thing to understand about Russian training or Soviet training is that the intensity varies, but not in concert to volume. And Western training Intensity and volume are linked, directly correlated. So, you know, if you're doing, you know, five sets of five, because the weight's so light, you know, you're not really pushing the intensity. Um, With the Russian system, they would vary the intensity and change the volume. The Soviet philosophy, and I mentioned some of their coaches and their writers and their scientists, the Soviet philosophy was simply, don't worry about how you feel. Simplify. You follow your numbers no matter what. If you're feeling great, and I'm like, I'm going to try 390 for two in my bench press, in our example there. They would say, no, your, your program calls for 330 for three, and that's what you do. Um what the soviet what the soviet says is do not train the same way today as you did yesterday or will tomorrow so there's a lot of variability not with how you do a clean and jerk or how you do a squat but they would change the rep method the intensity and the volume now when you look at the west side method of louis simmons he would change the method in fact you were changing all the time One Monday, you may be using a box. The next Monday, you're using chains or bands. So you're constantly rotating how you trained. That's a very Soviet method. But the squat never matched what you did yesterday. So example, if you've been squatting with a straight bar for three weeks, then you go to a box where you have to touch the box and come up. 
Well, there was no box before. Then you put chains on it so you have accommodating resistance. As you come up with the weight, the weight gets heavier. And then you could have bands where there's more accommodating resistance or reverse bands. You hang the bands from the ceiling. So you have 800 pounds on your back. By the time you're down on the parallel position, there's 500 pounds on there. So your nervous system never had a chance to adapt, which is the number one job of the nervous system, to adapt. So our brain and nervous system are always looking to adapt and become more efficient. Well, the training effect of the Soviet system or the West Side conjugate system is keep changing. The way the Soviets did it, they, they would do their changes with volume. Now let's look at the Bulgarians. The Bulgarians, though influenced by the Western Bloc, it was a communist country under control of the Soviets, there was still some, you know, infighting between them, some intramural, if you will, fighting between them. And their great coach, Adebajev, Adebajev was a monster. I mean, as far as intellectually understanding how the body worked. And he gained notoriety because of the way he treated all the weightlifters. He treated them like professional athletes. He basically said, you know what? This isn't a hobby, even though the Russians and the Soviets were doing that. But he said, you go to train every day. This is your job. This is your profession. You are professionals. And they literally would be in the gym four, five, six, seven, eight hours a day. And what they do, they would perform an exercise, a lift or a skill. Then they'd take like a 30 minute break to smoke, a lot of smokers, I mean, in the Eastern Europe, eat, take a nap, get chiropractic, get a massage, and then they'd go back. They'd warm up again and start all over. It was what they did all day long. Now, this method was based on how you felt that day. Your one rep max, like the 400 bench press example for your max. No, we've all had bad days and we feel like, oh, I couldn't lift 300. Well, that would be your one rep max. That's where your percentage was felt. It was on feelings. The Bulgarians were very touchy-feely. Don't say that out loud to them. You might get a throat punch. But they were very touchy-feely. They, they went on feelings. I see this a lot in some of the trainings. I think I've seen the nomenclature perceived maximum, a 7, which means it was 7%, 70% of the most I could do that day. You know, an 8 perceived, you know, intensity, 80% perceived intensity. I've seen a lot of people going, I'm going 6, I'm going 7 you know, and all this nomenclature just meant it comes from the Bulgarians, this nomenclature, where is your intensity? What's your percentages? Now, I've seen it westernized that way, and they're really not following Adebajev's method. Adebajev, would, you would set it when you walked in the door, how you felt, run the calculator, boom, this is what you're doing today. And the primary points of the entire program was to increase work capacity over time. The true Bulgarian method involves lifting weights as your job, your profession, your way of life. Most athletes simply do not have the time of the day to do a Bulgarian method, especially in the East. But what the Bulgarians did is like, okay, we go to a meet, you fly there, you're tired, whatever, and you're supposed to perform a one rep max after traveling for a day or two, new hotel bed, different food, Sometimes you're warming up and you're lifting at 8 in the morning, sometimes 4 in the afternoon. I've been at meets where I'm still lifting at 10 p.m. In the old days where we used the, the Roberts rules and not the round system where the, the bar just added, you added weight to the bar and it went up and it never went down. There were no flights. Everybody lifted at the same time. So you, you had to kind of guess when you had to warm up. That was the old days. But 
the Bulgarian method was basically to condition you for that, that you can perform your one rep max or get a PR, a personal record, at any time of the day, any place, whatever. So you, they conditioned you so you could do that, and that's how they trained. It was an amazing method. The Greeks stole it, you know, their neighbors there, and the Turks stole it too. And they had amazing results using it, training all day and uh, adapting that way. Now let me introduce you to Mike Bridges. For you old timers out there or people who lifted in the 70s and 80s, competed back then, you know who Mike Bridges was. He, uh, he was the, the GOAT, the greatest of all time, before Eddie Cohen came into, into fame. Eddie definitely knows who Mike Bridges is. Um, when Mike retired in 1984 the first time, um, I, that's when Eddie Cohen was coming up the ranks also. I think Eddie Cohen was like a 165-er when Mike Bridges was a 181. Yes, a 181-pounder. And I remember Mike in the senior nationals back then. Senior nationals were the top nationals. It wasn't masters. It wasn't old, over 40 folks. Um, you had the junior nationals, which is more like an open nationals, like the terms used today. And then you had a senior nationals, which you had to qualify for. And that's where the top lifters were. I've seen some of the national meets now where they have 50 people per weight, per weight class. That's not a national meet. That's an open meet. That's, that's not an invitational. That's not the top people. It's 50 people. Um, back in the day, they used to reset the qualifying total for the seniors based on, you know, what last year's were. So, for example, some of these big national meets, you see open nationals, you know, whatever nationals, and there's 50 people in weight class. They would set the uh, qualifying total probably to what the top eight, top seven could do because that's all they wanted for that flight. And that's that's how you weeded people out. So the senior nationals in 1982 had Mike Bridges in the 19, in the 181 pound class. His total of 2104 was what the super heavyweights were doing in 1982. Now you got to imagine this. We were using marathon suits, these single ply suits that um, basically were really tight t-shirts compared to what's out there now, single ply and used in all federations. Our knee wraps were ace wraps. Um, I still have a pair of my marathon white gold line um, knee wraps from the 1980s. And they're, my ace wraps you can get at CVS or Walgreens have more rebound. I've seen some of these raw lifters saying, I'm raw, I'm raw. And their knee sleeves give them 40, 50, 60 pounds. I was happy if I got 20 or 30 pounds in my squat from using these knee wraps. I thought I was cheating. So back in the day, we didn't have the supportive gear, even the single ply people have now. And what Mike Bridges did in 1982 at 181, you got to imagine 181, he squatted 836 pounds. He benched 512 in a t-shirt. I know there was like an Enzer blast shirt out, which is just a tight t-shirt, but no, he used a white t-shirt. He benched 512 and he pulled 755 pounds as a 181 lifter in 1982. So, and then, then he took 19 years off. He took 20 years off, very similar to my story. He took some time off and he came back at age 52 or 51 and he won the IPF World Masters Championship in 2008, you know, 12 years ago. And then in 2009, 
he won the Pan Americans, you know. And in the Pan Americans, he at 52, he squatted 804, benched 501, and pulled 650. I mean, that's amazing. I think it was like 198 at that time. He had bumped up a little bit. But, you know, a 181, 198, I mean, at 52 years of age in single ply, and probably using the single ply they, they had 10, 12 years ago. But amazing lifter. And his lifting routine was different. It was basically squatting, bench pressing, and deadlifting pretty much every day. So, for example, on a Monday, he would squat and go heavy. He'd do an 8, 5, 3, 2, 1, 1, 1, heavy, handle a heavy weight. And he would then do a partial squat. We did a lot of those before we had bands and chains. If you wanted to handle heavy weight, you just went up 100 pounds and did a quarter squat or half squat. You set up. Remember, you know, Mike walked out everything. And you set up and you would try to move that heavy weight. So your nervous system never, ever got used to 800 or your PR, your, your competition PR, being the heaviest weight that's ever been on your back. His bench press was amazing. He would do the same thing. Eight, five, five, three, two, one, 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 and then max. That would be his, his sets. Obviously, the eight, five, fives were all lightweight to warm up. He would then on the next day, he would squat again, and he would go 50% of what he did the last time. Straight 50, 60%. That's it. He would redo the same thing. And then he would do a heavy deadlift max. Same reps. Eight, then five, then three, then three, then two, then one, then one. And then he would do bench press. And he would go, you know, eight, five, five, three, one, one again. He would vary the heavy weight he would use. So on and on Friday, he may max out on squat and max out on bench using the same numbers, okay? Then he on Wednesday, he would go 50% and he would go 50% on bench press too. And then say he would max out his deadlift. Now, when he meant max, he didn't mean PR. Max for the week. That would be as heaviest of where he should be. So, you know, like a Russian system. And then on Friday, he would do the same thing. He'd squat and maybe do 80% of what he did on his heavy Monday. The bench press would be the same. And then he would throw in things like close grip uh, bench press, really light. He would do push downs. He'd do some rows, but people say, where's all the conjugate? Where's all these things? Now, remember, this guy was totaling 2,100. I remember the meet. It was either a national junior world's meet or a world meet where he totaled. It was a national meet. He totaled within 50 pounds of the super heavyweight, someone who weighed 200 pounds more than him. Now, you remember, the 19, late 1970s and 80s, when we learned about powerlifting through Powerlifting USA magazine, we had to wait a month, you know, to get our new magazine, which had the results. And if there was a national meet, sometimes that didn't come for eight or nine weeks. There was no newspaper. There was no internet. We had no idea who won. You know, you would have to know people personally and make phone calls to find out who won. We all waited for the magazine to come out. It's a whole different world back then. And they would have routines in there. Well, Mike Bridges one time had a seminar, so I went to it. And I was just a kid, you know, you know, 14, 15. And I remember everyone blown away because he would go through this routine and say, look, I go heavy. Say, you know, I go heavy for where I should be. So if I'm trying to squat 800, 
you know, I start off with my, my max eight weeks out being 700 and he adds 10 to 20 pounds every week to that max day, what he would call hundred percent or perceived max, very Bulgarian. Well, then the next week he'd add 10 or 20 on Wednesday, he'd do 50% of everything he did on the squat on Monday. And then on Friday, he'd do 80% of everything he did in the squat on Monday. That's how he rotated. And he rotated the deadlift and the bench very similarly. And people say, well, what bodybuilding exercises do? We didn't use the word assistance. We use bodybuilding. What assistance or secondary exercises do? He goes, oh, you know, I do some rows. Well, how heavy do you go? You know, one or two plates. Now, this guy was, you know, squatting eight pulling 750 and he would wouldn't go that heavy on any of his uh, bodybuilding or assistance work and someone asked a question some teenager from Dundalk that's me and I said well you know don't you do dumbbell curls or tricep pushdowns yeah I do some of that and I'll do two or three sets you know with two or three plates on there you know pump them up 20 pounds something kind of as a cool down for 20 minutes yes I do that every time and I go what I mean, because I was big then. I was trying to, I'm like, I can do a bar. I can do dumbbell curl with 50 pounds for reps. And I was very, you know, proud and egotistical. And I told him, well, shouldn't you go heavier? I mean, I can do bent over rows with 300. You know, I eventually worked up to 500 when, when I used to pull 800 regularly. But I'm like, I was so proud of these heavy bodybuilding moves I could do. And I remember this little guy from Texas, Mike Bridges, world champion, totaling what people 200 pounds heavier than we're doing in national meets i mean he was just he was so far above it i mean he totaled 2100 i think the next person closest to him second place was 17 and that was amazing at 181 back in those days he was so far advanced and he looked at me and he goes i work form my form is perfect have you ever seen it and that's all i worry about and i go i squat bench and deadlifts they don't give us prizes or awards or trophies for how much you can bet row. And I learned something from that, not from the Russians, not from the Bulgarians, though there's a lot in there, but from Mike Bridges, an American, that basically said, if you, ha- if you want to you know, be a good basketball player and you want to th- you do free throws, you have to practice free throws. If you want to be a good baseball pitcher, and throw a fastball. You have to practice the fastball. It's about being sport specific. It's picking what you want to do and be good at it. If you want to be a good electrician and this is your weakness, this area, you do it over and over again until it becomes your strength. You want to keep doing it like the Bulgarians. And that's the one thing I want to compare Mike Bridges to. He would constantly do the lifts over and over again so they were automatic. He did vary his intensity and his weight, but he constantly worked it. And he would work in these, he called them flushing, like blood flushing routines, where he'd do four or five little bodybuilding exercises. I mean light. He said he did dumbbell curls with 20 pounds, and everyone laughed in this uh, gymnasium uh, during his seminar. And he looked at him and goes, yeah, but at 181, I bench press 500 pounds. It's the world record. And everyone got quiet because there's no world record holders in the audience. He was the strongest man in the world, in the world, pound for pound, sitting right in front of us saying, you know what, it's working for me, why don't you try it? And my routines have been based on that ever since. 
A lot of people, my teammates, kind of give me crap for not doing a lot of secondary and a lot of bodybuilding, you know, or, you know, and I always go light. And that's from my, what I learned from Mike Bridges. And maybe it'll, it'll never get out of my head that if you want to be a strong power lifter, you have to bench, squat, and deadlift heavy, often, all the time. So your form is automatic. If you're only squatting once a week, maybe even twice a week, how is your form going to hold up under stress? Under a national meet, we get there, it's a different squat rack. It's a different bar. They're rushing you through. Your form has to be perfect every single time. What Bridges taught me, it's all about quality, not quantity. And this has been Fred Clary with another Fact Podcast. I hope you enjoyed.